Good morning to each of you. I'm glad to be here and glad you're here. Last time I talked with you, which I doubt many of you remember, uh, was about seven months ago. And um, my text that day was uh, from Matthew 4, the last part of the chapter in Matthew 9, the last part of that chapter. And uh, I talked about the gospel of the kingdom according to Jesus. And I focused on uh, two ideas. Um, that Jesus taught that the kingdom of God person will live, live a kingdom of God life uh, as presented in uh, the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, then I focus too on the healing ministry of Jesus, that it uh, demonstrated um, Jesus as uh, having power over the devil and evil and sickness and every kind of human affliction. Um, and I was thinking about that this morning during Sunday school, those verses about rest, that uh, for people that Jesus was speaking to who experienced quite a bit of, um, I'll, I'll use the word religion, and uh, pressure that uh, required a lot of human striving without an understanding of the power of God and the grace of God, I think the message of Jesus, the invitation of Jesus, uh, was certainly uh, the offer of real rest of, of body, soul, and spirit. I want to talk this morning about how a person enters the uh, gospel of the kingdom, how we enter the kingdom, and uh, what are the spiritual, I'm, I'm going to call, the term I'm going to use is, what are the spiritual realities uh, that accompany entrance into the kingdom, or, or what are the spiritual, uh, I don't know, things, I don't know, <laughs> that, that, are, that happen or are happening when a person enters the kingdom. And then I want to talk a little about who is qualified to enter. And, uh, and with that, I'm going to focus uh, on uh, the promise of uh, God to Abraham that all, all the people of faith through, throughout all of history and in all nations will be uh, his children and all of these people around the world are qualified to enter. Uh, there's a requirement there, of course. I'm going to begin with uh, faith. I have about five different words here that I want to focus on a little bit on each one. Uh, first, faith. Uh, I'm going to begin with the words of Jesus in John, the Gospel of John. Uh, I'm reading from John 3 and then 5 and then uh, John 8. Uh, the, the, ones, the verses in John 3, I think it's helpful to remember that they are connected to the Jesus comments to Nicodemus. Uh, and I'm breaking into the middle of verse here, where Jesus says, Whosoever believeth in him 
should not perish, but have eternal life. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. And then verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me, believes on the Father, hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. That's John 5:24. Then John 8:24, I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins, for if you believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. Uh, so these words of Jesus, I believe they focus on the necessity of believing that Jesus is indeed the Son of God, the source of life the one who delivers from condemnation and death. And uh, Jesus says that only those who hear and believe will experience uh, eternal life and not be condemned. And uh, they, they need to believe that the Father sent Jesus and they need to believe Jesus' words about who he himself is. And those who do not believe uh, will die in their sins and they will experience uh, the judgment of God. That's what Jesus says. And to believe in the name of, uh, I think sometimes we don't understand that. It means to be convinced of the truth about the person who has the name, who bears the name. And to trust that person. And now the interesting thing to me in these verses is that uh, Jesus does not mention repentance or any other spiritual reality. Uh, he only mentions believe in the Son of God. Believe. Faith. Uh, the next word I have is repentance. Uh, both John the Baptist and Jesus and later in uh, Acts and the Epistles. Uh, they mention repentance as a spiritual reality that accompanies entrance into the kingdom. And uh, repentance refers to the turning of the mind and heart toward God and away from, we might say, everything else that we have looked at, looked on, depended on for life. Uh, this is uh, from Matthew. In those days came John the Baptist preaching the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew 3, 1 and 2. Then Matthew four seventeen. Uh, from that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent, same, same phrase, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And um, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, I think, speaks of the, the kingdom being present in Jesus, that he's bringing the kingdom. He is the kingdom. 
he offers the kingdom in himself, and he was present. But it's, it's the age of the gospel of the kingdom, beginning with the birth of Jesus. Uh, then from Acts 2, 38, Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. In Acts 3, Repent ye therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. Um, and these these verses, of course, say a lot about repentance. They refer to it often. <clears throat> repentance is connected to conversion, and uh, conversion is impossible apart from repentance. We see that. And repentance includes three ideas. Uh, first, it speaks of a change of mind or purpose. And second, it speaks of sorrow for sin or sadness or remorse about the effects of our sins uh, on God, perhaps, and also on other people. And third, it speaks of turning away from sin and turning toward God and the attitudes that please God. So repentance speaks of a change of direction, a turning around, and a change of attitude. Now, for those of us who tend to be perfectionists, <clears throat> and I do, I do know that uh, there are some here, I'm one of those, I think it's important to remember that these three conditions of heart do not have to be present perfectly uh, to a, a certain degree it's a good thing that God knows how to save us despite ourselves. I'm not even being funny by that. It's just, just really true that we, we just, uh, all, all our, all our uh, hard work at striving to figure it out. And, and I'm not saying it's a mindless, I'm not saying Christianity is a mindless religion. I'm just saying that uh, we do a lot of striving and thinking and trying to get this thing right so it'll work. Uh, and uh, the God is beyond that, I'm very sure. So it's not, it's not about perfecting the repenting. Uh, and it's also important, I think, to remember that repentance is impossible apart from humility. And uh, humility is the ability to accept God's view of oneself. And it's impossible apart from faith, which is ability to believe that God's conviction of sin is correct and his grace and mercy is sufficient. And of course, uh, entering into the kingdom is, uh, is uh, like a move out of our own um, it's like moving out of our own little world of um, making things work a certain way and uh, moving into a different uh, place. So, humility and trusting. 
Now I want to talk a little about humility. Uh, the importance of humility is especially evident in Jesus' parable of the Pharisee and the publican in Luke 18. And uh, we, we know the story. The two men went into the temple to pray, and one of them trusted, it says, in himself that he was righteous and despised others, and he prayed thus with himself. Now that phrase uh, is really quite striking. He trusted in himself, and he prayed thus with himself. And uh, that sounds like he wasn't really talking to God, he was just talking to himself. Now, I'm, I'm asking, do you get that? This, this is about pride. So he's full of himself and trusting himself and talking to himself. Well, he, he prayed thus with himself, God. He said, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as his publican. Perhaps that was the lowest you could get to be like the publican. But the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus said that the publican went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Uh, Jesus declared to the publican, he said of the publican that uh, he was justified or in the right because, because he confessed himself to be a sinner in need of mercy. And uh, <clears throat> I, I think it's worth our time to ask ourselves now and then uh, whether we are humble or proud. Um, you know, I think it's very easy to imagine that we are very humble people, and we can think of ourselves as very humble. Um, but then, uh, I think it's also easy at times for some, I'm, I'm saying this because I find myself doing this, uh, to feel some great need to think of myself as better than others and to put others down in various ways. Perhaps that lifts me up. I'm not sure what all that's about. But uh, to have the idea, that, and this is one part, of, one part of this, to have the idea that we or Mennonites are better than everyone else or that I as a person am. And this is not humility. This, of course, is what Jesus is speaking of with the Pharisee. So, we have faith, we have repentance, we have humility. And uh, you might ask, how does anyone get any of these? Faith, repentance, and humility. Well, of course, uh, God has to be working and we uh, responding. Then I have the word regeneration. Um, the only time, I believe I'm right about this, that the word regeneration appears in the King James Version of the New Testament 
is Titus 3 and 5, um, which might make you wonder why we use the word so much, if it's only once in the King James. But the idea is present in many places. Uh, that verse reads, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. And then the two verses following that in Titus 3 read, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Uh, the word regeneration means literally again born, born again, again born, and refers to the work of the Holy Spirit in the heart that results in a new or cleansed heart which of course none of us can do for ourselves. Other passages such as 1 Peter 1, 1.3 and uh, verses 22 to 25 speak of again borning, not by corruptible seed, but by the Spirit and Word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. And now, by the way, I do know that again borning is not in the English dictionary. I just made that up. But the idea, I didn't make up. Uh, according to verse 3, The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his abundant mercy, hath begotten us again unto a lively, meaning living, hope by the resurrection from the dead. And uh, so, regeneration of faith, repentance, humility, and then the result is regeneration, a borning again, a rebirth, as Jesus described to Nicodemus, which is uh, from above. The act, the work of God in the heart. Uh, now, I'm moving to something else now. Uh, what we see here in these verses is that it's by the word of God, this birth, rebirth. It's by the word of God, it's by the preaching of the word. So God the Father uses the word of God to, as, as um, he speaks to us through the word of God preached or proclaimed, it's not just in sermons preached, uh, the, the gospel message of the death and resurrection of Christ. That's the basis of a rebirth. Regenerated hearts from above through the preaching of the word. So <clears throat> I want to talk a little about the preaching of the word of the proclamation. Uh, many passages in the New Testament talk about this more than we generally think about. And uh, as a context within which faith in Jesus Christ is birthed. See, I said that the Word of God is the context in which faith in Jesus Christ is birthed. And it's a context in which regeneration happens. <clears throat> I'm not saying there's no exception. I'm saying this is generally how it happens. Uh, 
The crucial importance of the word we find in the parable of the sower, which may be where Peter heard about this from Jesus, Luke 8, 4 to 15. According to Jesus, the condition of the soil of the heart, the condition of the soil of the heart determines the amount of fruit produced by the word. So, as we come, the way that we come, humility, pride, hardness of heart, whatever, that does affect the fruit that the word will produce in our hearts. And that suggests that the condition of the soil and the preaching of the word are both important. They both matter for fruitful harvest. Now, at Pentecost, in response to the multitudes who wondered why every man heard them speak in his own tongue, Acts 2, 6, Peter preached a gospel message to explain this. And he proclaimed the miracles of Jesus, Jesus' death according to the will of God at the hands of evil men, and his hearers were probably some of these people who had killed Jesus, and Christ's resurrection from the dead as the Messiah. That, that was the content of his message. And it says that when many were pricked in their hearts and asked what they should do, Peter said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And the result was that many gladly received his word and were baptized. So I'm, I'm just emphasizing there the importance of the preaching of the gospel, the gospel being the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And that's the basis for faith and uh, repentance and regeneration. Now, what did they preach? I want to focus on this a little bit. Uh, not only did they preach repentance, but they proclaimed... Um, yeah, I, I went through, not yesterday, but uh, the last year or two, I, I, I went through all the, all the sermons. I went through the whole book of Acts and all the sermons, and I was trying to um, analyze. I was researching trying to understand what were the sermons about. What did they say in their sermons? Well, they preached not only repentance, but they proclaimed that the promise God made to Abraham, that in Abraham's seed all nations of the earth would be blessed, and that Abraham would have spiritual children in all nations of the world, they, they proclaimed that these promises were fulfilled in Jesus. And if you notice in, in all of these examples in Acts of their sermons and the responses of people, you find that most of the Jews reacted to them and did not believe or repent. And the Gentiles did. And uh, what was that about? So... Uh, immediately following Pentecost, that was my little summary. Immediately following Pentecost, uh, in his explanation of how he and John were able to heal the lame man, Peter said, 
that the Holy One and the Just One, whom you delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go, this same One, the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, hath glorified and hath raised from the dead, and the faith which is by him, the faith that is by Jesus, hath given this man this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. And then Peter invited his hearers to repent and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. That's uh, Acts 3.19. Peter told them that the holy prophets since the world began have foretold these events that would fulfill the covenant which God, I'm quoting, the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying unto Abraham, and in thy seed shall all kindreds of the earth be blessed. Now, at the end here, in about five minutes, I'm going to make some uh, implications, applications of some of these ideas here. And the Jewish religious leaders reacted to Peter's preaching of Christ crucified and risen and denied, they denied that these events were the fulfillment of God's promises, covenant with Abraham. They denied it. Uh, the, the Jewish reaction to any suggestion that Jesus Christ's death and resurrection fulfilled God's covenant with Abraham. They, they, there was a constant, regular reaction to that idea. Uh, in Peter's sermon to Cornelius in Acts 10, Peter declared to this Gentile and his household that God is no respecter of persons, that in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him that the anointed of God and crucified, but risen from the dead, Jesus, commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that it is he which was ordained of God to be the judge of the quick and the dead, the, the uh, living and the dead. And the result of Peter's proclamation of Jesus was that the Holy Ghost fell on all of them, which heard the word, and they spake in tongues, which demonstrated that they responded, that they believed. In the same way the Jews had spoken in tongues at Pentecost, which astonished the, the Jews who were with Peter, the believing Jews who traveled with him there, after which Peter declared them ready for baptism in the name of the Lord. Uh, then when Peter went back to, uh, when they returned to Jerusalem, the uh, brethren in Judea contended with him, but after they heard the story, they accepted that these Gentiles truly had repented and believed and uh, could enter into, be considered uh, believers in the same sense that Jews had been, and these Gentiles, of course, had not become Jews. Um, so there are <clears throat> there are other um, I'm going to have to skip a few things here there are other passages in Acts as well that speak of the same thing uh, Paul's ministry uh, of course was uh, fraught with difficulty because of the 
failure of the Jews to see that the message of Jesus, the life, death, resurrection, the gospel, was for all people of all time and did not require that a person become a Jew. Now, uh, just a summary and then some applications. Uh, first of all, the spiritual realities connected to justification and conversion entering into the kingdom. Uh, mentioned by John the Baptist, Jesus, Peter, and Paul are these. Uh, they are faith and repentance, humility, and the result is conversion, regeneration, forgiveness, or remission of sins, deliverance from guilt, and reception of the Holy Spirit. Uh, second thing, in some situations, and I found this really fascinating, and I don't know what there is to be said about it, but in some situations the spiritual realities are mentioned without mentioning faith. Sometimes faith is not even mentioned as necessary. I, I guess it's assumed. Uh, only twice is some form of belief used in connection to these spiritual realities in Acts 1 to 13. Only twice. You, you can look. I'm not sure. Maybe it's a saint. I'm surely not saying faith is unnecessary. I'm just observing. Okay? Uh, third, a major theme in the early preaching of the apostles is that the gospel of Jesus Christ fulfills the promise made to Abraham that all people of the earth would be blessed through his seed, his seed being Jesus. All people of the world, Jesus is for all people. Uh, fourth, in Acts 1 to 13, and even more prominently after Acts 13, we see the resistance of some Jews to the idea that Gentiles can become people of God and enjoy what we would call table fellowship or maybe communion without keeping the law of Moses. That, that is the thing throughout Acts. And uh, fifth, we see that preaching of the gospel is the context within which faith is birthed. Now some, uh, some observations, uh, things I think about. Uh, first of all, in some respects, becoming a believer uh, in... Jesus or follower of Jesus is not as complicated as we sometimes think or make it be or it's it's like when uh, someone asks you well what would you say to somebody if you wanted to help them become a Christian and you just stutter around and you don't know the perfect thing to say and uh, so I want to say it's not as complicated as we sometimes think. Uh, for one thing it's not like a math problem that requires special knowledge, uh, which I'll have to confess, I'm not, I've forgotten most of the uh, algebra I knew and those other, anyway. Uh, it doesn't require great knowledge or IQ, and it is not a science that requires uh, getting every step perfectly right for something to work. Um, Jesus says, believe that I am the Son of God and trust in the life I can give you instead of treating uh, instead of trusting in the life you can make for yourself, or something like that. Uh, 
is it is something like I am the way, the truth, and the life. Trust me to be for you what you can't be for yourself. It, it's uh, something along that line. Uh, I'm not trying to make it trivial. I'm just saying it, it's not a grand, complicated thing. Uh, <clears throat> most people are living a life that uh, isn't really a life, and they are tired of it, but they don't know how to live some other kind of life. And Jesus is saying, I, I have, I am. <laughs> I am what you need. Uh, second, Jesus is the one who... Uh, again, borns people by the Holy Spirit from above, and this is a miracle. And people don't regenerate themselves. Uh, conversion, regeneration is a miracle performed by God. It is not a science that can be fully explained, and there's a lot of mystery in it. The third, the spiritual realities that accompany conversion... Uh, faith, repentance, humility, and so on, uh, cannot happen apart from the work of God. Certainly humans cooperate with God, but God must be at work in us to produce in us the spiritual realities that, that are necessary, that God, are look, that God is looking for. Now I mentioned this before, but uh, fourth, uh, I think I grew up with the idea that only Mennonites are Christians, only Mennonites are true believers, only Mennonites go to heaven. And uh, I, I don't know if I know really how to go about teaching our children um, uh, what is really true about that. Uh, it's almost like I think sometimes we have to present it that way in order to justify being uh, who we are or being different in this way or that. But uh, I think that needs a little help somehow. Um, I, I do believe it is possible to have too broad a view of who a believer is. I believe that. But I also believe where we err on the side of uh, having too narrow a view of who is a believer. Uh, perhaps we are a lot, um, I almost feel cautious saying this, but uh, sometimes when I'm reading in Acts, I think that perhaps we are a lot like the Jews who thought only the physical descendants of Abraham or Gentile uh, could be believers, or Gentiles who uh, became Jews and practiced the law could, could belong to God. And uh, the kingdom of God, the scripture is clear, is open to all people of all nations. And God promised Abraham that he would make him the father of many nations, many ethnic groups. And in Jesus Christ, in the gospel, in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, Jews and Gentiles can become one. Uh, I believe Ephesians 2, making of two, one people, is the idea there. Uh, fifth, I grew up with very little understanding, I never even thought about, that New Testament believers are children of Abraham. And I, I wonder now, looking back, where, where was I? I'm sure it was said, I don't know what 
I was thinking. Wasn't thinking about that. Abraham is the spiritual father of all the faithful. And I think that there's a tendency to create a lot of separation between the Old and New Testament. Uh, now, I want to hasten to say that um, I'm, I'm not talking about um, New Testament believers keeping the law, the Mosaic law, that sort of thing. I'm, I'm talking about seeing that people of faith in the New Testament are uh, in, in the line of, in the lineage of, people of faith in the old. It's, it's not like it's a different kind of faith. And, and that Abraham is the father of the faithful. Well, the last thing I want to say is that um, we should celebrate, glorify, and worship Jesus for dying and rising for you, not only for you, but others, for working in your heart by the Holy Spirit to bring you and others into a believing, following, uh, interactive relationship with him. Uh, thank Jesus that he has generated faith and repentance and humility in your heart and uh, regenerated, born, born you from above and given you the Holy Spirit. And that this is what uh, God is up to in the world. It's what he's up to in Jesus in the world today, in your heart and in other people's hearts. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for who you are, uh, the Son of God, uh, revealed the Father, lived and died and rose again. I, I pray that you would fill our hearts with joy in believing. I pray that you would be our teacher and show us, show us, Lead us into a deeper understanding of this uh, good news for good news for all people, and we depend on you to to grow your kingdom in our hearts and in the world, and uh, and we give you permission to work in us, work in us whatever you want to that we be able to cooperate with you in the work you want to do in our own hearts and in the work you want to do in the world. And bless these people for this purpose. Amen.